With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Tennis got off to a strong start. Roger Federer and Serena Williams playing each other. Hopman Cup, international news, and much closer to home. We start the year with a great podcast with Chris Everett. A lot of you have been clamoring for us to get Chrissy on, and we were able to do it this week. Um, notionally, this was supposed to be a conversation about the Australian Open, a preview didn't really work out. We talk a lot more about uh, Chrissy, where she is in her life these days, her recollections about uh, former President George H.W. Bush, who, of course, passed away in December. Uh, great conversation, as always. You expected no less. Um, a lot of wisdom here. I mean, for, for 50 years now, Chrissy's been a, a towering figure in the sport, obviously a Hall of Fame titan of a player, but now has really taken on... Um, an outsized role as, as a voice of the sport, as a celebrity, a personality. She's a commentator on ESPN, but more than that, sort of a, a conscience of the sport. Uh, one of the one of the great figures in tennis and remains so today. So this is a fun conversation. Again, not a whole lot of uh, Australian Open preview. Uh, maybe Jamie and I will do that on the back end. But here's, uh, here's a good conversation with Chris Everett. Not great quality from an audio standpoint, but she more than makes up for that with... Uh, quality conversation all right here's chrissy how are you good how are you good happy new year happy new year to you you're busy huh it's been a little busy i'm calling you from a nondescript hotel room instead of the podcast studio so apologies in advance for the audio Uh, oh that's fine thanks for doing this oh you have quite a uh you've quite a fan base out there I would say one out of every ten requests is, how come you haven't had Chrissy on? So thanks. Oh, thank you. All um, right. That's good. That's good you, to hear. So I'm thinking we can talk Serena and Osaka and Roger and Novak later, but I want to talk yeah. important stuff. I, I was at that Warhol exhibit at the Whitney near my apartment the other day, and there's a prominently displayed portrait of you. Do you remember that? At really well. You do? Yeah, I do. Sto- yeah. Story time. So, you know who instigated that was Vita. Really? Because Vita was good friends with Warhol, and he was doing eight athletes um, in different sports. And for you know, I don't know why Andy Warhol chose me for Oh, time, stop. And Vetus came to me, I think, right before the US Open, and he said, you know, I mean, I didn't know the impact. I didn't know how big this was, um, was going to be, but he said, you know, would you go over a friend of mine, Andy Warhol, is doing some, some portraits of athletes, and 
He didn't say a word to you. No, he was very, no, I think he's really quiet and very shy. And so he painted, he painted, he took pictures, he just took pictures, that was all he did. And it was like an hour, it was a no-brainer, it took an hour. And then, you know, presto, this magnificent, you know, display of athletes, of portraits come out. And I got, and, and by the way, every athlete received a free one. So I have an oil in my dining room of the same of me. Oh wow! From Andy Warhol, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, 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 really. Cool. This is a panel yeah. with you, Muhammad Ali, and Kareem. And you know, there's there's Bruce Springsteen and to whoever else uh, a couple panels away. But uh, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. That's nice, yeah. Pele, I think, was one of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want you want to keep going with that theme as long as you brought that up. Did did you go to the uh, did you go to the George Bush forty one funeral? Did I hear that right? I did. I did. I mean, you've always been very outspoken about how much you admired George Bush. Yes. But loved him, loved him, loved him, loved him, loved him, loved him like a father. Yeah, I did. How did you first meet him? How did you cross paths? Pam Shriver. Boy, Vetus and Pam Shriver are really hooking you up. Um, I've got good connections. Oh, you could have gotten to him on your own. But uh, no, I mean, you, I, I think you wrote Greatest Man You Ever Knew? He was the greatest man I've ever known, yes. I mean, wow. not, I mean, as far as putting everything together, putting the, the way he was with his family, the way he was the father as a husband, as a leader, as a friend, um, you know, humor, sensitivity. I mean, this, I've known him since I was probably about 30, about 30 years old. And so that's, you know, roughly, you know, let's do the math here, that's 30, 40 years. And consistent, consistent, consistent. I mean, he was solid as a rock. And always positive, always happy. Um, but I met him with Pam when he was a vice president. Um, Pam Shriver said um, that Vice President Bush had invited her to go to a, like a, I think it was a Chinese dinner. Uh, not Chinese dinner, but it, was a, it, it wasn't a state dinner, but it was with the Chinese president or whatever. Okay. And, and he mentioned that he would love to meet you and, and asked me to ask you if you come along. So I said, sure. So I went, um, and that night it was Pam and I and President Bush and Barbara in the limousine, and, you know, right away he put me at ease. Okay, tell me the scoop on the tour. <laughs> what went on? 
Who's dating who? What's going on? What's happening? It's like every tennis fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, he wanted to know about the players. He wanted to know about the romances. He wanted to know. And I liked him right away. He felt really, really cool. Wait, I would tell you were summoned into George Bush's bedroom? With Barr. Yeah, with Barr, Barbara. With Barbara and him and for a cup of coffee and to read the papers. That uh. was my, that was the second day I knew them. And, I mean, does that say, tell you anything about how down to earth the guy, uh, I mean, both of them were. I was going to say, the, the man doesn't rest on ceremony. <laughs> Uh, and then from then on, you know, we just became good friends. And he inducted me into the Tennis Hall of Fame house and went to, on, on a, a trip to Greece two years in a row with him and his family. And, and you know, he just, I, I don't know where, he was just like a, a second dad to me. And that's why this past year was so sad because it wasn't only, it, it was both he and Barbara passing away. You know, they... As wonderful as he was, together it was even more wonderful and powerful and loving. And I don't know if we'll ever see that again. I was going to say we we can steer clear of of politics a little bit, but there there was a certain uh, dignity he brought to the office that uh, maybe has been not so much in evidence recently. What what was the what was the funeral like? Very dignified and, um, I mean, it was lovely. It was, it was lovely. And the family, you know, to see the family come down the aisle at the end and, oh, you know, it was, it was kind of bittersweet in the sense of, of, I, I don't know, it, funerals, you know, I don't know, I, I'm not like, really in the moment with funerals <laughs> I don't know they're so they could be so sad but at the same time um, they could be so reverent you know and, and so nostalgic like just listening to the stories hearing the stories hearing the humor hearing the, the humor from from the stories and um, but I mean you're kind, I was kind of like I was a little bit in la la land because it was such a big deal, and right. I just I kept thinking to myself, Christy, okay, every everybody that passes your aisle is somebody, you know, and Prince Charles, they were all there, and it's like, okay, this is your friend, you know. I just keep reminding myself, but I I, I did feel overwhelmed at times because it was very, a lot of dignitaries and you know very very Washington D.C. and very proper and. But then as soon as the speakers got up, then it kind of, um, everybody kind of relaxed, I think, into it. But, but this was also a celebration of such a life well lived. Um, did, did, you, uh, did you see the, the living presidents and the, the psychodrama there? <laughs> I know. Well, I, you know, we went as, he had a, um, a sports delegation and there were about 20 of us from the golf and tennis world and Pam actually Pam Shriver and I were the only uh, tennis players and and the only females that were part of that delegation and all the all the other it was all golfers mainly so we sat we kind of they put us in the middle so I really couldn't see a huge 
church. So I really couldn't see what was going on up there. Of course, afterwards, you know, I, I saw it on YouTube, what was going on <laughs> right. there, who was in the front. And uh, it was, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, it was, it, it, it was what it was. You know, there, it, it was civil, and it was, I mean, as far as, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Way. It could have been worse. But I feel like, you know what, I want to keep going with that because I actually, I feel like politics used to be this, you know, this conversational third rail. It was like asking someone how much money they made and now all bets are off. And if I follow your Twitter feed, you you yourself are, uh, you've become fairly outspoken. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I um, because of business reasons, I, I think that I've been told that I have to... Um, Watch what I say. Um, uh, who's who's telling you that? You know, I, I, if you get my drift, so I got your drift. Totally spewing out how I really feel, but um, I I long for the years of um, getting back some dignity to the office and um, patience and and really thoughtfulness before making the big decisions. And and also, you know, intelligence, you know, and and knowing what you're talking about and doing your research. And if you don't know what you're, if you don't know specific areas, you learn about them and you get help from other people. Um, I just, I'm, I'm not exactly thrilled with the way the presidency has turned out. That's fair to say. But but I also see you're tweeting and, and writing and informing yourself i mean this is mental health and climate change um i don't know how to ask this is this, is this i don't want to say political await is this is this always been in you this this level of concern you know what john i have time now to be curious and to do research and to learn and i think in the past i was so involved with my tennis career then i had three kids in five years and then i was a mom and you know, is it more concerned with getting the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the lunchbox and what the play dates are like? And so my kids now are all in their 20s, and um, they're, on, they're out of the house, and they live their own lives. And I just find that I have a lot more time that, I mean, the last 10 years for me have been about um, learning about myself and being alone and um, pretty much... You know, being thoughtful and mindful and also doing a lot of charity work because, again, I have the time to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right when you say that. I'm, I I have more time and, you know, to really research politics. But, but you're right, I, I really didn't have much of an interest in it until recently. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like people... We we know you better now than you were number one in the world and playing in front of millions of people all over the world. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's by accident or design. I, I didn't really reveal all of myself when I was playing. I mean, I was almost like the reluctant champion in the sense of, uh, yes, I love to win, but I didn't always love the fanfare or the, or the attention that went along with it. Um, so I wasn't revealing a lot. I was fearful back in those days of being wrong and, and maybe, you know, appearing stupid if I, you know, I was pretty, 
non-controversial in my statements. Um, and now, yeah, I mean, I just think just sort of looking within myself now, I just feel more confident and I'm like, well, I mean, I finally feel like I don't really, if I know what I'm doing is right, if I'm doing the right thing and I set my boundaries and, um, and I'm happy with myself, then I really don't. I can't be concerned with what people are thinking. But I think being in the limelight at a very young age, it just it, it really sticks with you for a while, you know, because you are subject to always having people take pot shots at you. But at some point, at some point, you're not living your life if you're living by that. So, and, and also, I've been through a lot. You know, I've been through. I've been through I mean, I, I'm an advocate for mental illness because I feel like that. Um, that subject should be really discussed a lot more than it is and it still is taboo and you know I've had moments in my life where I've been depressed and I've had moments in my life where you know I've suffered from anxiety and um, so I and, and I think since I've experienced it I can relate to people who are, who are going through the same thing and it doesn't matter how much money you have or how successful you are it's just you know we all go through the same things so if I can shed light on that sort of um, issue, you know, I try to. Can I can I bounce a theory off you that I have? Before social media, it was it was hard for athletes and celebrities and people like you to define themselves, and it came down to you know third parties and media. Yeah. And. You know, you're, I think your I think your image was positive, but it was probably oversimplified, and it was girl next door, and you had Martina, so everything had to be contrasted with her. <laughs> I, I I would submit that you are a lot more. I, I think social social media has really redefined you, and so has your work in TV. And that if we had the tools today that we did when you were playing in your prime, your image would be just as likable, but it would be a lot different. That's my theory. I mean, social media, I mean, is, it can, it does have, um, the, it does have negative connotations at times, but I mean, for me, I feel like I'm getting on it with, with my fans or with people that listen, you know, listen to me and, and that appreciate and respect me and, and I feel comfortable telling my views out in the open. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm confident of myself, and I feel like I've lived enough life that it's not these feelings that I've had aren't, you know, they're not a flash in the pan. I mean, consistently these feelings um, and these issues have been on my mind, and, and because I've lived them and I've experienced them. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we are, we, oh my gosh, we got away with so much, and we got away with so much when we were younger too. Because what do you mean? I mean. That, Every time now, I mean, every time Serena Williams goes out, she's being photographed. And I mean, we were—we could live more of a private life back in our day. Right. No doubt about it. Now, that was good. That was good. Um, so, I mean, there's good and there's bad, you know, because we did have more privacy. And nowadays, they're really, the stars are living, you know, under the spotlight a lot more than we were for sure. But I feel like you're someone who's really taken advantage of this platform to forge them. You know, you, you've forged your own identity and you haven't been there passively. That 
we know you a lot better now at this stage in your life than when you were number one in the world. Um, you know, a lot of that, you know, and, and I have to say a lot of that was fear-driven. You know, and I have been, I'm not the first one to admit, I've been, my, my dad was very fearful. And I think that I, I was with him so much and I kind of carried on that characteristic a little bit. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was fearful as, as a, as a girl and, and as a young woman. And again, um, you know, didn't have the, didn't have a lot of confidence. Um, on the court, I was different, but off the court, I really, again, I, I, I always felt frustrated because I was the type of person, John, that I, I was a great debater. Like I could always <laughs> see both sides of the story. Right. I, I could always see both sides and it's like, yeah, and I didn't take stands enough because I could always see both sides of the story. Now, I'm, you know, as I get older, I'm sort of getting better at, okay, really, this is, you know, this is really how you feel. And don't try to be diplomatic and don't try to say what either Chris ever is supposed to say. I mean, just say what you feel because you can't go wrong. <laughs> you cannot go wrong if that's what you feel in your heart. And, and if people, again, you know, people will love it or they might be critical of it, but uh, you're just tired of being fearful. I think you get to a point where you just get tired of certain traits that you've displayed over the years. And you know, you know what? You can't, you gotta change. You can't. I love, someone told me this quote, uh, I, I'm out of, I'm, I'm so old, I'm out of fucks to give. Like at, at some point, you just got to be you and stop worrying about uh, impact and who you might offend. But but I think the flip side of that is I, I'm going to embarrass you and tell you that all the time I get people writing to me and they say, I saw so-and-so at the airport or I saw so-and-so at a restaurant. You don't know how many people have had pleasant interactions with you that it really means something to them. And I, and I saw the other day, someone said they were so nervous to approach you when you wrote, I, I don't bite. You, you seem very comfortable interacting with the public. Well, I, why shouldn't I? I, I mean, I don't think I love it better than anybody. You know, that's, that's the thing is, you know, you, you, I, you have to take a different approach. I mean, when I was 20, 23, 24, when you have people chasing you all the time for autographs and, and you don't get that privacy inside a restaurant or people coming up, coming up, kind of puts you in your own little shell, right? And makes you inhibited. But now, you know, I'm not, people don't run up to me anymore. I don't have that level of fame. And when people do come up to me, they're very nice. They're usually adults that are very nice. And, and I, I feel like once I had kids, I think I became a human being. You know, I became like every other person in the world. But, I mean, I needed, because once I was a tennis player, you know, you feel like you're a little bit different because you're winning and everybody's patting you on the back and, and you know, you feel special and, you know, that's people the way people treat you and it's also the way you feel about yourself. But once I had children and my child, my babies are throwing up on my shoulder in the <laughs> middle of an airport and screaming and crying, I'm like, oh, God, I'm just, you know, I'm just like everybody else. That'll keep your ego in check. Um, when are you? Uh, when are you? When are you writing? When are you writing that damn book? This is like you're, you've given. Uh, this is a great book proposal you've 
you, you need to uh, be paired with, with a female author and write this all up. This is a great book right here. Yeah. We'll talk about that offline. All right. Um, this isn't quite how it's you know always. What? what? I don't want to throw people under the bus, and if it was a truthful book, I would have to. No, but I think you make this about the wisdom you've found at this stage in the game and how you've managed things gracefully and what you've realized as you've matured. All right, we will talk about this offline. Um, tennis, come on. Let's, uh, we, we're less than two weeks away from our first major of the year. Um, if I gave you Novak Djokovic and took the field, would you take that bet? Um, I would, I would um, take Novak. Over 127 other people. Um, the women's side, I, w- I would say, is perhaps uh, a bit more open. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, okay, I mean, it's not like Novak is, you know, like Serena was five years ago where, she, you know, you figure she could win three out of four in a year. But I think that um, the women, it's, uh, I mean, I thought this time last year, there was a multitude of different right. potential winners, but I mean, it's I, the the environment on the women's tour just um, gets more and more really intriguing and interesting. And new players are playing are coming up, and you know the thing the thing is, I'm sitting here, I'm in my living room right now, and I'm I just have a TV on. By right. the way, sorry, but it's not on the voice, but I just it just came on. Oh, I have it on sound channel. Just came on right. the that I won't and be offended. I'm looking at her, and you know, she looks fitter than she did last year. Serena. Yes. Serena yeah. Looks yeah. She looks trimmer, yep. which results, I mean, which transcends the better moving, which is always a good thing. She looks pretty relaxed. Um, my big question is as well as she, as she, if she's playing a little bit better now, The last time we saw Serena, not perhaps her finest moment. Um, you think that's a factor? That she's finally probably going to get asked about that, and it was the last time she played a sanctioned match. And it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little. I was surprised that she really retreated from this and hasn't really. This was international news, and yeah. Hank Aaron and J.K. Rowling are all weighing in, and we haven't really heard from her. Do, do you think what happened the last time she played? A match is going to have any impact? No. Clean, no, clean I, slate. I, I think she compartmentalizes better than anybody, and I think she has a short, she has a very short memory. Um, I don't think 
how that, you know, what happened at the U.S. Open, the finals, the, the behavior part of it, I don't think that, because I think in her, I think Serena felt like she did everything right, you know, and she is speaking up for what she believes in. She is passionate about certain issues. And I think she felt that she was wronged, okay? So I don't think that is going to um, affect anything. I think, I think more than anything, the tennis. I mean, you know, how, how rusty is she? Um, has she been able to train as hard as she used to when she was number one? Um, you know, how is the hunger aspect? Is she still as hungry knowing that her daughter is pulling at her heartstrings sometimes when... You know, she goes down the court and her daughter wants her. I mean, that's got to be really, really tough for a mom. So, I mean, there's just a lot of other things. I think the balance, the whole balance issue is, is I think, what is going to come into effect. It's not really going to be what happens in the U.S. Open. Do you remember when you were at that phase of your career when you, you didn't know when the finish line might be, but you knew you had, you know, yes. a finite number of majors left? What was it like? Well, the thing, the thing with my career, my, my career, at the end of my career, it's different than, than hers, right? I mean, as far as I do, I mean, the last, like, two or three years of my career, I was pretty much, um, you know, Martina, Steffi, and Monica were ahead of me. So I ended my career at pretty much number three or number four in the world. You know what I'm saying? I... I I didn't, I, I never dominated like Serena did, you know, prior to when I retired. So, um, but I, but I do remember that. And I remember, um, I retired at 34 years old and I remember Andy Mill, who was my husband at that time, he had to retire because he broke his neck, his back and his leg and he mm. run at the Olympics and he had to he had to retire. And I remember him telling me, milk it as long as you can because once you stop, you can never get it back. And I remember I, I probably played another year or two because you said that. And, and I'm very happy that I did play another year or two. Because a lot of good moments came out of that year too. But um, yeah, you just, you want to play as long as you can because, you know, it's just, it's going to go away. You know, this great, great part of your life is going to go away and all the highs and the what? adrenaline and, and the competitiveness and setting goals and you know, it's going to go away. So I was going to say, when you say it's going to go, like what's what's it specifically? Just the whole. Um, the, well, that's a good question. Um, the feel. Well, lifestyle, but also emotional and mental aspects of it. The mental, the the um, the concentration, the challenges of pressure. Um, the uh, the adrenaline when you're holding up the Wimbledon trophy. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just all part of the package, really. And then you go do TV, and you can replicate a lot of that, right? That was that was that was kind of a joke, but kind of not. I mean, <laughs> is is this at all a substitution, or is this just a completely different drill? No, you know what? You, you're you're traveling the tour. You've got goals. You're trying to get better. You're yeah, see, being yeah, seen in front of millions of people. Yeah, at, at this point, I could settle for having lunches with my lady friends and getting my nails done all day. But, <laughs> um, 
Um, Don't do that. I think that it's really important to, you know, for me, doing TV is, is focus. And I'm getting that, you know, is, is the focus and is the, again, curiosity and the information and, and the getting to know the players and the coaches. And so it's sort of getting into a nice mental place for me. Um, but, I mean, at this part, stage of my life, I, I feel like I'm very lucky because I have I do have a lot going on, you know, besides the besides right. the TV with my tennis academy and with other projects that I have. So, I mean, you've got to stay stimulated or else you die. You die in your brain. All right, here's my last question to you. Very important question. What are you going to binge watch on your flight to Australia? Okay. Um, You're always good for this. You always have good tips. Begin to tell you that I probably watched every series and Netflix and series, but I'm gonna I'm looking at my thing right now because I did I think I put something on here. Oh, I put Outlander. I haven't seen that yet. Oh yeah 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 yeah. What what else? I put Outlander. All right. Give what, um, you're yeah. you're good for this though. What's it? Give us one more. Give us a sleeper. My wife did. Excuse me. Uh, this is us. My no, I said my my wife my wife my wife did. Um, okay, you, that's yeah, that's phenomenal. that's not all right. Um, that, that's not what. No, I don't know. It's not really in my sweet spot, but. Um, okay. What about what about um, Tin Star? What was that? The Mad, the Little Drummer Girl. Ooh, there's a lot of them out here. All right. Um, I just watched RBG. Oh yeah, that's terrific. You mean you mean the documentary? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel like have you have you seen uh, and then we'll stop this. Have you seen Veep? I mean, have you seen Vice? What do I say? Veep. Have you seen Vice? Vice. No, I haven't seen. Is it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an absolute takedown. And uh, and our forty first president come, comes out looking very good. Um, oh, yeah, it's a terrific. Wait, 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 it's great. That's a comedy. Is that the comedy? Yeah, it's 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 a takedown of Dick Cheney. Oh, no. okay, no. But it's great. Yeah. Christian Bale and Amy Adams. It's it's terrific. But um, all right, I. Um, okay. So um, thanks for doing this. I said half an hour. I've exceeded my limit. Um, it's always a pleasure. Never know where the conversation's going, but always somewhere good. I know. Well, I was. Thrown off guard with the questions about me. I'm like, whoa! I thought we were talking about the Australian Open. Oh, who wants Australian Open? We got Andy Warhol and then uh, George oh, Bush. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, okay. got some good stuff there. John. That was great. Um, love what you do. I it, love your work. You likewise, likewise. It's always a pleasure, and uh, I'll see you in a different continent in about a week. Okay. We'll see. You, we'll see you next week. Very good. Safe travels. Okay. Thanks, John. Thanks. Take care. Bye. All right, thanks to our guest, uh, Chris Everett. Great conversation, as always. Um, pretty easy to see why she is so widely well-liked uh, in the sport, and I would even say much farther than that. Um, great American treasure. Someday she will uh, find a female collaborator and write that book that I've been after her to write for years. And also, she and Martina Navratilova will uh, at some point have their own TV series. 
free idea for aspiring producers out there. Uh, anyway, great spending time with Chrissy. Sorry about the audio quality that was being done, uh, I think, hotel room to hotel room. Uh, next time we will be back in the studio, I hope, which lets me transition now that we are back in the studio. Hi, Jamie. Jamie Lasanti joins us. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Good New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, 2019. We're you ready. Well. Uh, I think it's like tennis, tennis is back. Tennis was back, and there's something symbolically fitting about this. Tennis season actually started, uh, we were still in 2018 when the results started uh, coming across our transom. Uh, pity that uh, I think we all had bittersweet feelings about Hopman Cup. Great event, and I think a lot of people don't realize that um, for all intents, this may be the last year. But nice start to the season for uh, for tennis. Roger Federer and Serena Williams at the same event, on court at the same time, uh, was was big news. So uh, nice little prelude to the Australian Open. It was so cool to see them. There's one clip. It's just the two of them. It's really cool. I ne- I didn't realize that that never actually happened before. I mean, Hopman Cup comes along every year, and you know you get the headlines like Serena loses at Hopman Cup, yeah, and like, exactly. the world right. outside of tennis is freaking out, but everyone else is like. Okay, you know, like let's. It's an exhibition. Yeah, let's let's relax. But I I never re- realized that they had never actually played against one another. You know? Yeah, I mean, s- some of this is obviously the two principles. I mean, these are the two right. greatest players of all time. But I also think like, if tennis needs any more proof that these mixed events are the way to go, and that there's a lot of mileage the sport can get out of men and women competing at the same event, when we talk about refurbishing and uh, reformatting Davis Cup and Fed Cup. It's events like this that uh, remind us tennis has something really, really special here. I thought it was cool, too. You see, um, like, Serena hit a serve and Federer could barely get to it. And uh, Francis Tiafoe comes back, you know, to kind of congratulate Serena. And he's, like, super stoked. <laughs> like, he's so excited. And Serena's just kind yeah. of like, oh, okay. But he's like, oh, my God, that was so cool. So even it's even cool to see the other players, you know, both players, uh, Benchik as well, like, very say, much younger. Uh... And just, like, it was such a cool dynamic, um, cool way to start the season. I'll round out the foursome. Belinda Benchik. Uh, forgotten, uh, yeah. forgotten player last week. A, this is a. I mean, she's beaten Serena in singles before. I mean, this is a top was... top level player who's coming back now, and she injury, she held yeah. her own. Um, all right, should we do some? Uh, should we do some quick Australian Open preview since Chrissy and I didn't get too uh, too deep in that? Sure. I'll ask you the question I asked her. Um, if I give you Novak Djokovic and wait, how did I do this? You take Novak Djokovic. I take the field. Are you uh, are you satisfied with that? Yeah. I get 127 players, and uh, you get one. You gonna yeah. keep him? I'm gonna keep him. Uh, yeah. I mean, how could you not at this point? I mean, it's crazy because you flashback. We had the same conversation last year, 2018, January 4th. Right. What? You would not. Oh, I was gonna say. I was like, where's she going? With it? You, no, exactly. You would no, not. I mean, I would. Was, I would uh, have right. never answered you that quickly. And you would have, uh, you know, you would have won the bet by the end of the first week. Right. So, um, you you gotta go with him. I mean, this is his place. It's his court. Um, I, you know, feel like health wise, he's probably the best top player at this point. Um, he's you know coming off. It's mental a, health too. His chakra right. and his uh, <laughs> his his spirit animals and his karma and his vibrations are all uh, <laughs> he's, he's vibing. Um, I you know I I think uh, he wins this for a seven time. I mean he's he's won the six times. This would make number seven. Suddenly he's becoming to Australia what 
if not Nadal to the French Open, right. certainly what Roger is to uh, to Wimbledon. I think you're right. He comes in probably the healthiest. I mean, we're I, th- I feel like unfortunately one of the realities of of tennis these days is we always need to timestamp these podcasts. You and I are speaking. I don't even know what's today's Friday. Friday, right? January Friday 4th, morning. There we go. Um, so as of now, Nadal is still in the draw, but uh, we're not hearing great things about his health. Um, Federer is a defending champion, but um, it's been a rough. We, we've talked about how the certainly the tail end, really the the last nine months of his 2018 were not up to his standards. Zverev is coming in having won in London, but we say all the time best of five is not best of three. And I think you're right. I think if if I'm you, I'm probably not trading Djokovic for the other 127 players. I think part of that is Djokovic and the form he has. And you're right. He's won two slams in a row, and now he's coming to the one where he has the best track record. But part of this also is it's really hard to go down the list and look at viable alternatives. Um, there's obviously no draw yet. Again, do you know who he lost to? Pop quiz. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you remember who he lost to last year's Australian Open? Chung. Oh, yeah. That is did. an absolutely inconceivable result it shows you how far we've come um you're right that a year ago if you'd said Djokovic in the field you never would have taken that bet and again you would you would have won that yeah, bet. we would have still been talking about his mental health and is his elbow okay is his serve even okay I think I remember last year in uh Australian like exhibitions yeah, right. and Australia things like had he the was abbreviated serve yeah right. his he was still trying to figure out his serve um so it's incredible and I, I also think what's going to be really interesting is how we um, – I think it's going to be interesting to see how this – I don't even know what to call it. The spa talk, this new age talk uh, gets covered because I think people roll their eyes when they hear things like vibrations and you follow him on Twitter. And I think there is an instinct um, in some corners to sort of skeptically look at the way he's expressing himself in these terms. But, boy, it is working for him. And you certainly cannot uh, – can't argue about – the results there. Um, what about the – and you, you see me Googling in the meantime because um, I'm looking at the spelling of Bianca Andreescu, who has now beaten Carolyn Wozniacki and Venus Williams, which uh, leads us to Bianca Andreescu notwithstanding. Um, if Djokovic is the overwhelming favorite to win on the med side, which would be his third straight major, um, taking him up to 15, Jamie – the women's side is the opposite scenario and has been for years. And I would contend that uh, these two different sort of uh, these two templates playing out at the same tournament actually makes for great viewing. You've got this towering, overwhelming champion uh, on one side. And on the other side, you've got an absolutely wide open field. Carolyn Wozniacki is the defending champion. She, for a variety of reasons, probably not a great choice to repeat. Um Simona Halep will come in coachless, but as the number one seed. Naomi Osaka has won the previous major. Angie Kerber, who, of course, won this event in 2016, is, is a top choice. But you got a lot of options here. Um, again, we say this well in advance of a draw, but any preliminary open thoughts on the women's side notice? I didn't even mention Serena Williams yet, who's, of course, reached the finals. The last two majors, Jamie, take it away. Who uh, has this women's side drawing? I think you could pick anyone in the top 20 right now and probably say, yeah, yeah, they could they could win or they could they could make a deep run. I mean, you can go down the list from the 
the players like you mentioned, Wozniacki, Halep, you can say Serena, um, any of the others, and then you can mention people like Sabalenka and others like that that could have a breakout. I mean, could we see an Ostapenko-type winner here? Maybe. I mean, it's really all up in the air, and I think one of the interesting things about the Australian Open and the kind of this time in women's tennis right now is that Australia always has this feeling where everyone comes in and they're rested and they've had vacations and they have new coaches and they have, you know, new kits and new shoes and, like, everyone's really excited to be in Australia. And it it really does have, like, a new season feel. And people come in with confidence and fresh body that they don't have in other tournaments. So I think – Do you like it? Oh, I love it. I think I, it's great. I think so, too. It's, it's a really weird thing, because I think you're absolutely right, that players come in and they are not just physically healthy. I mean, boy, they've had a whole six weeks of off-season to recuperate. <laughs> but they come in, you know, this is probably as physically healthy as they'll be all year. But also, there is this spring training sense. No one's record is pocked with losses. No one has emotional scar tissue. No one's lost a tough three-setter yet. Everybody comes in with this clean slate. And yet, unlike spring training, this is... A major. This is one right. of the four biggies. I always say this is like the Oscars. You know what the Oscars, they kind of lure you in by having one big category in the first like 15 minutes. And right. then they go back to, you know, best beekeeper and best co- to, costume. Yeah. They keep it. Uh, yeah, exactly. The backstage, yeah. Um, so on the one hand, it has this sense of optimism and promise and everyone's coming back from the off season and hugging each other and showing vacation pictures. And it's in Australia. So you don't have the media crush and you don't have the. Right pressure but at the same time you're you're playing for a major by you know by the last weekend in january we will have one of our four slam winners for the year so it, it's a strange mix i i like it as well um and i think your other point is well taken uh sabalenka is a name that obviously has a lot of heat as they would uh say in hollywood svitolina is coming from having won the year in championship and unlike zverev she does not have to alter the format uh they will be playing best of three on the women's side, not only that, they will be doing it with a heat rule on the men's side as well. Uh, so Svitolina's probably a name up there. Um, it's funny, I, I put Muguruza's name out there, and people took great exception to that. Um, this is a player who makes Sloan Stevens look like the benchmark for consistency, but this is a m- multiple Grand Slam champion. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's it's no exaggeration to say any of 20 players could win, and you'd say, yeah, it's doesn't doesn't shock me. Um, anything else you're looking for in, uh, I think we'll try to do another one of these next week before, uh, before you head out, board the big bird, but, uh, any other themes? Anything Uh, else? No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward. Um, I'm looking actually at the list of the past Australian open champions from the past 15 years. A lot of Djokovic. For women. Oh, women. Oh. Well, a lot of Serena. A lot of Djokovic on that side, but a lot of Serena. I mean, and then you look at some of the other names, and it's really, I mean, you have Kerber, Lena, right. Azarenka. You got a double. I was going to say, you have a double Azarenka who's a player who, right. who knows. And, I mean, and then you're going back to to yeah, beyond. Maria, Maria to, took it one year. Maria, but then you're Justine in like Hennen, yeah. 2006 and 2000. I mean, we're talking about more than 10 years ago. So, um it's kind of incredible when you when you think about that and you kind of see where Serena's at in her career and and where the women's game is now. Um, it's going to be really the draw will be really interesting because I think uh, in terms of those top players like Halep and Wozniacki, yeah, there'll be a lot mentor, of really good sort of third round matches. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, it'll be 
it would be incredible if once again, after we, we say all of this, that we have a Djokovic Serena, you know, Which... ho- hoisting the trophies at the end or, or, you know, just these, the, the same champions again, um, would be quite incredible. So the, uh, I mean, you know, and Serena of course is a story unto herself and I, Chrissy didn't seem to, uh, to bite on this. I, I think the, I hate the phrase, the cliche scar tissue, but uh, some of the residual effect from that last time we saw Serena Williams uh, at the U.S. Open. I don't know if you've seen some of the, you know, she, she had the one interview in September where basically Serena had to look off stage to remind her and tell the question, tell the questioner to, to not ask about the U.S. Open. And apparently there was a press conference last week where the media was told you're not allowed to ask about the U.S. Open, and then there was this clarification that that came from the event and not from Serena specifically. But clearly, this is still a sore topic. She hasn't really addressed it. This was not her finer moment. Um, She has her defenders, and she has her detractors, and I think there are a lot of us in the middle who think that this was a fairly nuanced and complex situation and that it's possible for multiple people to have been both right and wrong. But I, I'm not sure there was ever resolution on that. And just given the way she's wired, given the fact that inevitably she's going to be asked about it, given the fact that this was the last time we've seen her, for all intents, on a, in a sanctioned match, I, I think there's a bit of a factor on this, that uh, the last time she played in a Grand Slam match, there were tears and boos at the end, and this became an international sort of cause celeb. I, I think that good, bad indifferent different i mean i do think that will have some impact on her performance but you know we'll we'll get a sense of where she is this is a long layoff she's been practicing uh you could see in perth you could see the hopman cup clearly she looks to be in good shape certainly probably the best shape since she left the tour two years ago with the pregnancy announcement um she's been to the finals of the last two majors on her own this is a big opportunity for her I agree with you. I think, you know, I think of the one thing that we learned about Serena over the past year since her pregnancy and all of that is that she is as much of a, a human uh, as as all of us, you know, uh, even though she puts off this like superhuman effect. Um, so she she will be affected by that. Um, you know, I, I think anyone would if there's any sort of troubling thing that happens in a workplace or in your personal life, whatever it is, um, it's really hard to to deal with that. And I'm sure she's working on that. And, you know, she has family and friends and coaches that are probably helping her to move on. But I think when she really gets in, as you said, a, a real match, you know, under the lights, there's that pressure. Um, it could probably bubble up again and we've seen her get a little rattled in certain situations so it will be interesting to see how she deals with it but um also interesting to see if she addresses it at all um i think she's in a, gonna, in a, I think she's gonna have a to at some level press press her mm. after a win or press her after a loss i think that would be interesting as well so we'll see you know what distinction a little bit off topic but since you you mentioned the word workplace I think one distinction we don't make nearly often enough. In tennis, it's best of three versus best of five. In general sports, I don't think we make nearly enough distinction over team sport athletes and individual sport athletes. Elite athletes are cut differently from us. There are thousands of examples of that. There's there's actual science supporting that. <laughs> um, but I think there's also a big difference between a team sport elite athlete, elite performer, well, and an the, individual it's, sport. It's where the spotlight is aimed, right? Exactly. I mean, it's... Always, always on you when you are the sole 
you team. get the glory. Yeah. You get the burden of defeat. Some people relish that. Some people run screaming from that. But I think that uh, the, you mentioned the word workplace, though, which I think is interesting. And you look at how this would have played out had this been a team sport. If LeBron James had had this controversial end to Game 7 of the NBA Finals and there would be teammates that would be asked about this and there would be a team apparatus and there would be a league apparatus and Serena can just sort of shut it down and say, I'm not talking about that and that's that. Um, And her quote-unquote team is behind that and supports it and and probably helps move it along. Right, but her her team is – I think we always talk about a tennis team. It's a little different – a oh, team course, in team yeah. sports pays a salary, and they're the employers, and they have to <laughs> abide by league rules. A team in tennis terms are people on your payroll and your agents and your publicists. It's right. it's a bit of a different dynamic. And I just think it's interesting, and this is not to condemn or condone. I just think it's very interesting to consider how this plays out in a team format versus an individual format. But anyway, um, yeah, no, a lot, a lot of good storylines. I, um, I also think a storyline uh, – to look into with the Australian Open, which I think is going to present itself this year, is I, th- I think it did last year as well. I think these are really, we've talked about this before, these are strong times for women's tennis. And there's a lot of variety and there are a lot of personalities and there's a big band of ages. And I think men's tennis in some ways is in a terrific spot. And you have, I, I would contend, the three greatest players of all time still competing and competing simultaneously. But after that, um, God bless. You know, we will go down the list <laughs> and Zverev and team, but promising. I I think women's tennis is sneakily in a very strong spot. If I were buying futures on tours right now, I would uh, stock up on on women's tennis, and I wonder if that theme doesn't continue developing. Um, I think there are a lot more storylines on the women's side, and I think a lot of these matches. We we talked about this before that you looked at the most memorable matches of. 2018 and it was a lot easier to come up with wta candidates versus atp candidates um anyway lots to discuss let's let's see if we can't sneak in we have a uh, a comedian guest who is uh asked to be on the podcast who we may try to sneak in here um i'll keep you in suspense jamie we'll try to do one more of these before we board but anyway thanks always always a pleasure thanks for your uh your editing sorcery and thanks to Chrissy. Thanks to Chrissy, yeah, and uh, thanks to you. And somebody somebody wrote in saying we need to really uh, plug not just reviews but subscribers to this podcast. If people wanted to subscribe, where would they go? They go on Apple Podcasts. Of course. The same place that they leave a review, and they should subscribe. Because then they'll get notifications. They will instantly know when It'll we pop post up this podcast. Chris Everett will be, uh, will be speaking here. Yeah, because you never know. During the Australian Open, you may just – Call me at we'll one in the morning, and, exactly. and maybe there's a secret special podcast that pops up. And if you're not subscribed, you will not know about it. And if you are, you will. All right, that <laughs> does it for this week. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Chris Everett. And we'll do it again in a few days. Mm-hmm.